Well, good morning. I hope you're all in good spirits and you're well. It's uh, always an honour, it's always a privilege to, to serve you in this way. Now, we're having a, starting a new series that will be running through the summer, and it's called How People Grow. And it's actually based on a book by, of the same name by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. Don Townsend, available at the bookstore. Go quickly, or they may disappear. But <laughs> I tell you the journey, really. I was reading this as part of my own just personal development, and I was, was deeply impacted by the book. So I was having a time with Chris Lane. And by the way, I talked to Chris yesterday. He had an extraordinary time in Israel, wonderful way to start his sabbatical. And he said to me, tell the people hi, and they're in good spirits. And it was good, he said, to see Fliss after three weeks. So they're doing really well. So I'll just send that back to you. However, I was talking with Chris, and I said, well, I've been reading this book, you know, how people grow, and, we've, and then Chris said to me, that's it. I said, what do you mean, that's it? That's the series for the summer. I said, oh, I, in my mind, I was thinking, well, maybe this would have been good for an essentials course. I didn't know that we'd end up running it through the summer. So we're going to run this through the summer, and what I want to get in your heart and your mind is, you know, God has a purpose. He wants us to grow. You know, we're a church where we gather people. We grow them, and we give them away, as it were. And this is the growing part. How do we grow? What is, what's the process? What do we go through? Well, these are some of the things we're going to look at. And the objective of the series is that we're going to look at the essential process that makes people grow. The essential process that makes people grow. How these processes fit into biblical understanding of spiritual growth and theology. Is it theology? Yes. We're going to see how they, they fit together. <clears throat> and the last point there, how spiritual growth and real life issues are one and the same. That's the goal. That the things that you go through, whether they be the emotional or the relational or the financial or the work area, all the struggles you go through, they're all spiritual growth. They're not separate things. God works through all of those things. The way that we're going to do it, the method, we're going to discuss over, I think it's going to be about nine weeks, some of the major Christian doctrines or teachings and how they apply to personal growth. And I'll throw up there in a minute a slide that's got all the teachings, but what you'll find is that we'll cover them, you know, the theology of God and the Bible and the Holy Spirit and the role of truth, guilt and forgiveness, discipline, correction. You can read them. We're going to cover them because all these aspects that are theological are actually things that are very important in terms of personal growth. And what we hope at the end of this time is that you will make a commitment to personal growth and commit to it for life. And here's the point, folks. Even if you don't, God's committed to finishing the job that he started. Because in Philippians 1.6, he said, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So even if you're not committed to it, God is. In other words, he's going to be on your case. So you might as well, you might as well just make it life easy for yourself and just decide, yes, Lord. I, I know you want me to grow. I, I'm, 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 I'm committed to it now. So one way or the other, he's going to get you. But we're going to cover some of these, these um, 
theological teachings or doctrines, and we'll cover them indirectly. We won't say, this is the person of Christ. We will cover it in a softer way. And it's not just me, but uh, Richard and Lynn, uh, Linda will be coming up to, to speak also about this. Well, what we hope is that God would really prepare your heart and you would have a commitment to, 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 to change, to grow into what God planned for you to have in the beginning. So, that's our outline. That's where we're going. Is everybody happy with that? Richard said to me, Dennis, make sure that you give a clear outline as to what the program is all about. So I hope it's tick. <laughs> okay, so are we ready? Let's go then. Okay, the, the title of this message, which is looking at really the, the created order, is Reconnected to the Source. Now, what's at the heart of the gospel? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, we read this. All this is from God. Paul's speaking previously, the verse before that, about the fact that, all, that, all, that uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He makes all things new. So here we go. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So, what's at the heart of the gospel? The, the, the message of reconciliation. The fact that God wants to bring us back into relationship with himself and each other. Very important to remember that. And the message of reconciliation is not only just about, as it were, a relationship with God and with each other, but as Henry Cloud says in the book, he says, it's about coming back to life. It's about coming back to life. It's about us beginning to become the people that God intended us to be before the fall. Reconciliation isn't just about your sins being forgiven. It's about you coming back to life. The life that God created for people to live. The life of deep relationship, fulfilling work, celebration, and more gives us the life we desire and solves our problems. That's what Henry Cloud said. As I studied this, I began to get excited, you see, because I realized that I was being sold short in a sense. You see, what do you mean? Well, I came from the, you know, the Baptist tradition, I was evangelical, and that was great, great teaching. But there, we very much so focused on what we call the sin model. God is good, you are bad, and you must stop sinning. And the, the, the goal of, the, of the, the pastor was to, to help you confront your sin, get you to confess it, and get you to stop it. So the kind of sermons we had were sermons where it was, there is secret sin going on in your life. This is the reason why you are as you are. So each week you came and you just got battered. And each week you went home and you felt a miserable sinner. And you just came back for more because it was your duty to go to church to get battered every Sunday. <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, some of us lived under that. But you see, that, that's only part of the story. It wasn't just a matter of God just, you know, that you're going to be 
Growth is going to come about by us finding out what sins in your life and the problems you have in your life because you're a sinner. Well, that's not really helpful. God's plan is that it's not just about sin, it's about you beginning to become the person that God intended you to be, not on the basis of him telling you that you are wrong, but on the basis of helping you by the power of his spirit to overcome those things that lead to death, i.e. sin, i.e. missing the mark. And for a process, we, and you heard it in the songs, it was the songs this morning, God is redeeming us. Through the process of redemption, we move from death to life. Now, I'm going to unpack that a little later. But you know what? The thing is this, that Jesus wants, to have us, wants us to have life, and that life which is more abundant, yeah? You know, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy, but God's plan is that you're going to have life with a capital L. A life of celebration, a life where the job that you do fits your job description, fits you. You don't spend your life thinking, oh, it's, Monday, it's Sunday, oh, mercy, I have to go to work tomorrow. And the job is just killing you. God's intention was never for that. His intention was that he had something that specific for you to do that fitted your personality and makeup. And when you did it, you were energized. The issue is this, that before the fall, we were connected to God. After the fall, we were disconnected from God. So we didn't have any life. So the whole issue of redemption, or as we call it, or coming back to God, is coming back to life. Now, let's consider some ideas here that we're going to cover. Six or seven things that we're going to talk about this morning, and I have to move at pace. The first one is that God is our source. That the second thing we're going to look at is relationship. The third thing, God is the boss. The role of God, the role of people, the fall, and the purpose of redemption. That's what we're going to look at this morning, and I'm going to do it quickly. And I'd encourage you to get the book. I've got a tremendous amount out of it, and if you really want to get the best out of it, this morning I'm not going to do it justice, but if you can get hold of the book, take it away, do some reading, do some studying, do some praying, and see what God says to you as you read the book. So, let's start now. God is our source, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. Now, this is a difficult phrase for us, you see, because we live in a world where they don't believe that. Secular humanists will have a real problem with that. They believe that we are a fortuitous occurrence of atoms. Some of you understood that. <laughs> You know, we, on the prime evil waters of the earth, an amoeba came forth. And the process went from non-complex to complex. And therefore, we, so you've got all of these people who don't believe the creation model, that God created the heavens and the earth. Look, God, as far as we're concerned, created everything. He is the source of life. Everything that lives and breathes comes from him. He is the provider and the creator, period. Because he is the source of life, you know what? Helping people becomes an issue of the life they're trying to create. And here's the point. Also, the
the life God is trying to create in them. <laughs> if you miss that, you miss everything. That God is the creator. He's the source. Everything that you have, that we have, every good and perfect thing comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning, James tells us. Whatever you have today, whatever you, goods, whatever resources you have, it comes from God. That's our declaration. The complete antithesis to the world that says, no, God is not our source. We are the source. Mm, I mustn't develop that because I'm going to develop that later. But you see, if you understand that and you get that right, then it means that you move from being an independent person to a dependent person. Because you recognize the source of your life is God. It's funny, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, he said, seek first his kingdom and all these things things that we need will be added unto you. If you understand that verse, that verse just means if when you understand that God is your source, then you start worrying about how you're going to get the stuff. Because if you seek him, he'll give you the stuff that you need to live. Okay, relationship, Genesis 2, 18 to 25. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I love that verse, because you see, if you read the verses before, he brought the, all the animals before him to name them. And I can imagine that Adam was looking at the zebra and thinking, mm-mm, the rhinoceros, no chance. Mm-mm. <laughs> the elephant, mm-mm-mm. And it says after that, there was not found a helper for, 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 for Adam amongst those. So God, it says, made Eve. And here's the point, really. That although God had, although Adam had God and had a sweet fellowship with him, divine relationship was not enough. He didn't, you see, let me just put it to you this way. There's some of us, you see, who are Christians, and we just want to have a relationship with God, 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 God. We just need him, 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 him. Yeah? We don't need anybody else, 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 else. It's just me and him. As one preacher put it, he said, you know, the body of Christ has the head Jesus and two billion members in the neck. Because everybody has direct relationship with the Father. We don't need, it's a, a distorted body. Ah, well, I need to, some of you are looking at me thinking, what does he mean by this? Because I, I, I look at you. One of the troubles with charismatic people is that we all hear God. And we all think that we've got a direct link, which we have. So what you have is that, you know, Someone's talking to you and they said, the Lord told me. Well, it's kind of hard to debate with that, isn't it? Because <laughs> if God did tell you, it's not helping the, relation, helping the conversation if you precursor everything you said, God told me to have breakfast this morning. No. <laughs> and it's a difficult thing when you're a pastor, when you're dealing with people, that you just have to be humble and say, well, look, I believe God told me. That gives us a chance that you could be wrong. <laughs> And what I'm really trying to say to you is this, that, what am I trying to say to you? (laughs) No, what I'm really saying is this, that God didn't just have it that we would have a direct relationship with us, with him, but also with each other. The fact is we need each other. The fact that God said, okay, Adam, there you are, but I'm bringing Eve to you. 
who is telling him something, he's saying, he's saying look, you're not going to do it in isolation. You're not going to achieve this in isolation. So we, we're made for relationship. In fact, right from the outset, the core, the core of creation was man, and relationship was at the core of creation. First with God, and secondly with each other. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is wonderful because you say, what would you mean? Well, what it's telling us, it's symbolic of the fact that there was complete transparency. There was complete openness. There was complete vulnerability between Adam and Eve and between God. There was nothing hidden. Now, you know, I've been married now 30 years, I think last month. And I realized there are parts of my life that are hidden. From Eileen. But not hidden from God, because he can see anything, but even see everything, but even from God, we're trying to hide stuff. And you know what? The real challenge as I'm growing in after 30 years of marriage is learning to be vulnerable, learning to be transparent, learning to be open. You see, for some of us, you see, you ain't gonna share the stuff that makes you feel vulnerable with your partner because you know why? You're afraid they're going to use it and beat you with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you hearing me? Yeah. So there's stuff you keep because if you share that, you don't want to share that because at some point in a heated conversation, it will come back and put whack. But you see, Adam and Eve and God, before the fall, there was total transparency. They were easily vulnerable. The fact that they were naked, it was symbolic of the fact there was nothing hidden. And if you read the text, the minute things changed, the first thing they did was they covered themselves up. I, the, the vulnerability and the transparency changed, and then they hid from God. So we're designed for relationship. We're designed to be, have relationship which is open and transparent with God and with each other. In other words... There was vulnerability, there was openness, there was no duplicity, there was no brokenness, no breach, no shame, no hiding. Each person knew each other, that's Adam and Eve, at a deep and intimate level. The next point, God is the boss. Genesis 2, 16 to 17. And the Lord God reminded the man, commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Look, in the garden there was an order. God said to Adam, look, and Eve, this is your role. You're to work and take care of the garden and obey the things that I tell you to obey. Live within my limitations. And if you do that, you'll have a good life. Because God only said to them one thing. He said, look, there's 90, there's 100 trees in the garden. Do what, of the 99, do what you like with them, and, but that one there, leave it alone. You think you can handle that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that was great. Hmm. But we know what happened a little later on. And here's the point. Failure to submit to what God's limits 
would mean a loss of life. And we're going to see what that means a little later. Now, let's just consider the role of God and the role of people. God is the boss. He's the source. He's the provider. He makes the rules and he judges what is good and what is bad. Therefore, he's a judge of life. God's role is to be in control. Now, you see, this statement and the things I've just said this is the complete opposite to the way our society operates. Secular humanism has come along and said, no, we're in control. We are masters of our own destiny. We have the technology. We have the knowledge. We have the power. We can rebuild him. Faster, stronger, better. Some of you remember that, the $7 million map. Yeah? Some of you know the lights. But that's what our society has done. And if you listen to it, the news, and, and particularly the, you know, the, the various media organizations, they're kind of like feeding frenzy on the political situation as the prime minister seeks to give uh, advice and, uh, on how we will, as it were, sort out the financial mess that we're in. And we're all talking about things and they're all asking questions and no one really understands, but we're looking to sort the situation out. And people are making uh, judgments about, oh, this is exactly the same as it was, it was in 1970, etc., etc. Do we have the power? Do we have the knowledge? And, you know, I think to myself, you know, guys, Scripture says this, the Lord sits in the heavens and he laughs. Yeah, Psalm 2, Psalm, uh, the Psalm of the Messiah Prince. He laughs because he sees the ploys of men, how they're going to do this and they're going to do that. But God, it says, has set his king, Jesus, on his holy hill. God isn't sitting there biting his nails thinking, oh, I wonder what Mr. Cameron's going to do next. I'm wondering what Mr. Mr. Obama's going to do. Maybe I need to ask their advice. He's not doing that because he's in control. He's sovereign. He's God. He's Lord. He's boss. And as much as men and women are messing it up, God still has a plan. He is not nonplussed by the economic situation that is facing us in the nation at this moment, at this moment as we seek to repay the debt from the money that we've borrowed from various sources to run the nation. He's totally in control. You know what our role is in the created order? Our role as his beings is to be dependent on him as the source of our life. I'd like to see Mr. Cameron and say, Mr. Cameron, you know, our role is to be dependent on God. As much as you've been to Eton and well-educated and we're very pleased that you're prime minister, you need God's help. You need God's help. Because the reality is you do not have the resources in your natural power or ability to deal with the financial face issues that are facing this nation and this world. You need supernatural help. That's why Paul said that we should pray for those in authority over us that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. Because whether the, they like it or not, without God's help, they ain't going to make it. That's the truth. Independence is not an option for us because we are not self-sustaining as God is. 
Thus, we are limited in our ability to live apart from him. That's the truth. Our role, and it came out in the song, is to yield to him, to surrender to his control of the world. And here's the point, to control ourselves and experience life. I'll say that again. Our role is to yield to his control of the world and to control ourselves through the Spirit and experience life as he intended to be experienced. So, pre the fall, Adam and Eve had the whole package. They had a great place to live. God must have been a wonderful place to live. He had the perfect mate. You remember what it says? It said when, when Adam saw Eve, it was like, whoa. Man, <laughs> it was, yeah, so he had a beautiful mate. He had lots of good things to do. They had a purpose. And I had a job that fitted their makeup. Paradise. <sighs> had things remained as they were, there would be no need for this series or the book. I wouldn't be standing up here. Linda wouldn't be having to pastor people and help people through stuff. We wouldn't be doing this stuff. We're still in... <laughs> it's really funny. I think about it. You know, man, if, if that was so, man, we wouldn't be doing all this stuff. Instead, they took a great tumble. A catastrophic tumble. To gain so-called independence. To take control. To become the judge. And to make their own rules. So, we must look at the fall, Genesis 3. And, you know, I read through my Bible quite regularly, and, you know, every t- you know, when I get to this bit, I kind of think, oh, no. Everything was just so good up to this point. Anyway, we read. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit, from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Didn't say that, or you will die. You will, and here's it, you will not surely die. That's a lie. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. I've underlined it because that was the temptation. Knowing good and evil. And what you need to understand here, look at, uh, let me see, I think it's Isaiah 14 and I think Exodus, um, Ezekiel about uh, 28, something like that. Lucifer or Satan was an archangel. He was the angel that covered and he was beautiful. Songs came out of his mouth. But the trouble is, he got lifted up with his own sense of importance. And he decided to usurp God's authority. But God threw him out of heaven. You know why? Because he wanted to be like God. So he comes down into the realm of the earth, and he sees paradise, and he sees the divine order, and he sees Adam and Eve and God, and he sees the fellowship and the communion that they're having. And he comes with the same temptation to Adam and to Eve and says, you, you don't understand. God doesn't want you to touch that tree because you're going to be like him. 
and they fall for it. The tempter came along and got them to totally undo the entire created order by rebelling against God. So instead of the created order looking like what's coming up on the screen here like this, Thank you. If you're on the podcast, you cannot see it anyway. <laughs> God is the source, and we depend on him. God is creator, and we are created and cannot exist unto ourselves. God having control, and we control ourselves, and that's the work of the Spirit. God was the judge of life, and we were to experience it. God has designed life and its rules, we obey the rules and live the life God designed. That was the divine order. We end up, after the fall, with the roles reversed, looking like this. Yeah, smooth, isn't it? We're the source. Secular humanism. We depend on ourselves. We're the creator. We have a society that's confused. People will put their lives at risk for animals. But if it's inconvenient, they don't feel anything about getting rid of a child. It's kind of strange, isn't it? How people will, you know, put their lives in danger, Greenpeace, and go in front of a boat to almost kill her. But yet, if they're having a child and it's not convenient, it could just disappear. You see, instead of Paul put it like this, you see, he said, look, what happens is instead of us being the created beings, we become the creator and start to make decisions. Things get reversed. We become the judge of life. We judge ourselves and we judge each other. One of the greatest criticisms of the church is that we are so judgmental. Because we, we have the truth and you're not living the way that God wants you, so we are judging people. And each other. You see, this doesn't happen in church. It happens in relationships as well. If you're in a relationship, there'll be times when you make judgments on each other. What time do you call this? You said you were going to ring. Why didn't you? Hello, hello, hello. We do it. We all judge each other. And that's what it says here, thus cease to be able to experience ourselves and each other. We, we design life and we make the rules. So you make sure, you know, I'll forgive you, but you better not make, it better not happen the next time. Well, you're setting yourself up there for a fall anyway. We live any way we want to. Paul put it like this, he said this, that, in, one, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Ungodliness leads to unrighteousness. The minute you put God out of your life, then there are no rules. You do what you want. It's a free-for-all. Henry Cloud put it like this. Adam and Eve tried to become like God. And in the process, they lost themselves in trying to become what they could never be. God. They lost their ability to be what only they could be, themselves. And we have been searching for ourselves 
ever since. That's a profound statement. That's a profound statement. We're trying to be God, and God actually never intended us to be God. He wants us to be ourselves, and we've been searching for ourselves ever since. So, come to the close now. The purpose of redemption. You see, because of the mess that we're in, because we're trying to be God, because of the, the disconnectedness they have between, between us and God and each other, God in his mercy, and that's why I was blessing God this morning, that this plan of redemption, as we call it, is to bring us back into a place that was better than Adam had before the fall. God is not just going to just deal with your sin. He's going to restore you to what you were. That's the plan at every level so that you can live life as he intended it at every level. That's the plan. So here we go. God is the person, in the person of his son, Jesus comes to reconcile us. You see, I love this because, you see, God saw our plight. And he looked through the earth to find someone who could fulfill the plan. He looked at Adam. He couldn't do it. He looked at Noah. He couldn't do it. He looked at Moses. He couldn't do it. He looked at David. He couldn't do it. So you know what he did? He came himself. Think about this. God, almighty, omniscient, all-knowing, constructs, constructs himself to a span, divests himself of his glory and becomes a man. This is good preaching. <laughs> Man, I listen to this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some of the African brothers say, Yes, preach it, brother. <laughs> he becomes a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And he walks on the earth and he experiences our humanity, tiredness, pain, anguish, depression, but without sin. Then, because of the sin, because of the fact that we've missed the mark, God has decreed there has to be a price to pay, and that price, that price is death. And on a cross, 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus gave his life 2,000 years ago for you and I, and the power of what he's done lives today. And because of that, we can have access into his presence because the sin that was hostile to us has been removed through the blood of Jesus shed at Calvary. And now we can have access into his presence that God is no longer our enemy. Not only are our sins forgiven, but the, the process of redemption is now started so that God can now restore everything as it should have been in the first place so that we can have communion with him we can have communion with each other. We can know liberty. We can know life. We can know freedom. We can know relationship. We can know everything that God intended before the fall because of what Christ did at Calvary. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes, that's right. It's not my word. It's his word. That's the plan. That's the plan of redemption. And that's why we rejoice over it. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anybody's in, new, in Christ. You see, God is not into do it DIY. Do it yourself. When you become a follower of Jesus, he destroys the old life and he starts the new. He destroys it and starts again. 
Henry, Newman, Henry Cloud says this. The application of redemption is the process of growth itself. This is why, he and Townsend in the book is saying, this is why, in our view, to solve life's problems and to grow spiritually are one and the same thing. The process of redemption. He saves you, but he's not going to leave you as you are. That's why I said to you at the beginning, whether you commit to personal growth or not, he who began a good work in you will complete it. So what is the process of of redemption? Oh, mercy. We come back to God as the source of our life. We choose today to say that no longer are we just going to try and do things by our own strength, by our own might. We Retreat from independence from him and being self-made. We find God to be also our source of healing and growth. We not only become reconnected to God, but become reconnected to each other. We surrender to God as Lord and return to our rightful role of being dependent on him. We give up trying to control things and people. Tremendous, a lot of energy expanded in that area. Husband and wives, you know this, yeah? A lot of energy trying to control each other. So, what's the new source of power? What source of new power does redemption give us? Well, this is the thing. You see, when you become a new creation in Christ, you've got a new power. We have God as the source of our power, and we have others to support us. What this basically means is this, that as you begin to work with you through your stuff, as you begin to say no to the things that bring death, sin, And as you begin to work through that, you also have others who will help you work through it also. I have people that I'm accountable to. When I mess up, I ring or talk to my brother, Derek, and he'll pray with me and pray God's blessing over me. So I receive his grace. I receive grace not only from God through the word and prayer, but also through a brother. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because of our new nature that is empowered by God, we can submit to him And we can have a body of people, that's the community of God's people, to help us to do that as well. By the power of that new life, we learn to control ourselves. You know what? So much of our energy is tied up trying to control others. But God's intention is by the fruit, by the work of his Holy Spirit, that we learn to control ourselves, not other people. And for the first time in our lives, we can choose life and stop doing the deeds of death. This is the process of growth. You know, I'm going to finish with this. We were designed to be dependent on God and each other. Please stand. Time is gone. Could the band come up, please? You're listening to this this morning and you're thinking, well, yes, this is very interesting. But look, I just sense in my heart that You can be a follower of Jesus and God's not your source. And you know what happens is, if you read the book in the next chapter, it says how the big picture affects the small picture. And if you get the book, read it. There, he talks about a high-profile pastor and his wife, who, yeah, they had a big church, loads of people, but he had a problem with sexual addiction. Their marriage is on the rocks, even though outwardly they were doing everything well. You know what the problem was? They'd lost their source. And this morning, if you know you have another source of power other than God, and you know that things are not as they should be,
this is your morning, that you can get reconnected. Reconnected to the life giver. Reconnected to the one whose intention is to make you what you were intended to be. The one who wants to bring you into that place where you can be and do all that God intended you to be and do. So you can know who you really are and what plans he has for you. Plans for blessing and not for calamity. So if that's you, then we pray at the end of the service, come and we'll pray for you that you get reconnected. You know, you may be disconnected because you feel God has let you down. You may be disconnected because of what's happened in your situation or circumstances. You may be even angry with God. You can handle that. But this morning, I would encourage you, come to the life giver. Come to the one who can restore your soul. Come to the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Come to the one who will give you a purpose and a plan for your life. Come to the one who can restore your marriage. Come to the one who can restore your soul. Come to the one who can restore your hope. Because he's our father. On this Father's Day, the Father wants to say to folk, welcome home and come home. To the one who will hold you in his arms. Look into your eyes with love and reaffirm you as a son and daughter in his kingdom.